This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Control of the House and Senate remains up in the air this morning as both parties pick up crucial wins. And just look at this map. Right? That's not a red wave. Uh, that's nothing like a red wave. The lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, is going to be the next senator. I never expected that we were going to turn these red counties blue, but we did what we needed to do. Now Pritzker scoring a double-digit win over Republican challenger Darren Bailey. And I am so thrilled to spend four more years as your governor. The Democrat Alexi Janoulias will be Illinois' next Secretary of State after a run against Republican Dan Brady. Republicans began this day hoping to possibly take control of the Illinois Supreme Court. It's turning out apparently just the opposite, however. It's a little after 11 here in Chicago, and we still don't know which party will control the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives. A handful of Senate races remain too close to call, including that nail-biter in Georgia, where Democrat Raphael Warnock has a slight edge over Republican challenger Herschel Walker. Dozens of House races are also too close or too early to call. But one thing is clear. After last night, the red wave that many Republicans expected didn't materialize. And here in Illinois, Democrats won big, retaining the governor's mansion, holding on to two key congressional seats in the suburbs, and keeping control of the state Supreme Court and much more. With us all this hour to analyze the results and what they mean for you, we've got WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney and Chicago Sun-Times chief political reporter Tina Svondelis. Thank you both for being here. Sasha, what day is it? I know I'm, you're tired. I'm, what time is it? Where, what, <laughs> what continent are we on? Please tell me you got a few hours of sleep, Tina. Definitely. I do. <laughs> so before we get to the governor's race and, and the other big local races, I want to spend a few minutes just taking stock of the bigger picture here. So typically in a midterm election, the party that's out of power wins big, often easily retaking the House. What do you make of the fact that Democrats could very well retain control of both the House and Senate, Dave? Well, I, you know, it's it's hard to judge right now really where we stand on those questions, Sasha, because it feels very much still like it's a jump ball, both for the, the U.S. House and the Senate. Uh, I think the Senate maybe leans ever so slightly to the uh, uh, Democratic side. The House leans ever so slightly to the House side. You know, I mean, you got to look at this. You have a, a really kind of a historically unpopular president in Joe Biden. I mean, his his approval ratings are as low as any president, I was looking at Gallup a, a couple of days ago, as mm-hmm. low as any president since Dwight Eisenhower at this point in his term. And yet, here we are. And, yeah. and I think what it, what we're kind of seeing is the, the, the impact of the Dobbs ruling is having some pretty profound effects around the country and, and drawing lots and lots of people out, men and women, particularly women in the suburbs. Yeah. And, and, I, and we're, seeing, we're seeing these races Which I think we expected, mm-hmm. sort of, right? We, we, we did expect it, but, you know, we saw a smattering of polls that had, you know, a, abortion all over the place, like, you know, high, a, a, a top priority, not so top priority. And, and you know, honestly, my, my thought about it was that the timing of that ruling, you know, might might have been, you know, for Democratic purposes, better had it come like around Labor Day or, or October, you yeah, know, instead you of Memorial Day. But, but lo, you know, lo and behold, it looks like it was a real factor. And Tina, Democratic senator from Illinois, Tammy Duckworth, crushed her opponent, Republican Kathy Salvi. We're going to get into those details in a little bit. But, you know, nationally, the, the Senate is a toss up. We're still waiting on Georgia. We're still waiting on Nevada. Democrats did pick up a key seat in Pennsylvania. Just r- remind us 
how different might things be for President Biden's agenda, depending on whether Democrats or Republicans happen to prevail in Congress? Uh, Things will be hugely different if he loses both the House and the Senate. Um, He'll have difficulty with judicial appointments and other confirmations. Um, That's kind of why he tried to rush through things in the first two years, which he did a good job with on some matters. Um, He knew that this was a possibility, so he was trying to prepare for that. But he seems really hopeful uh, that they're that they might pick up the Senate and that would be huge for him and his agenda and yeah. for any but another potential presidential run. He'll be able to factor in a little bit more. Yeah. Thoughts, Dave? Well, you know, I think that uh, the, the thing that, that you, you watch, I mean, the, the, the one issue in Congress where both parties have to play nice with one another is when it comes to extending the debt ceiling. And we don't often think about that, but it, you know, it, it creates a situation where America could default on things and, and that becomes a leverage point if Republicans control the House. You know, there will also be investigations that they'll be waging in the House under under a possible Speaker McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Um, impeachments have been talked about. And then uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the, the congresswoman from Georgia, I mean, she was uh, speaking uh, a day or two ago and she said not a single dime more will go to uh, help the Ukrainians fight against the Russians. So, I mean, you could see a situation where uh, the House being in Republican hands could create all sorts of budgetary headaches mm-hmm. for for uh, uh, President Biden and really change the course of, of things in the uh, the, the battle for uh, Ukraine. And Tina, I know you both are more focused on state politics, but any races that you're keeping an eye on in particular in the House or Senate? I'm definitely watching the Georgia race. And there is a local connection here in that um, Raphael Warnock's campaign manager is J.B. Pritzker's former political director. He left his side to go to that race. So if there is a runoff, there's lots of people, lots of Pritzker people watching to see what's going to happen. And obviously that's hugely important. Also, Nevada. I want to see what happened there. I think exit polling showed that there were a lot of Latino voters, which is what would be better for Democrats. So, and a lot of mail-in ballots that they're waiting for, which usually tend to skew Democratic. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what will happen there. Well, speaking of Pritzker, uh, incumbent Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker really had no problem whatsoever holding off a challenge from downstate uh, state senator and farmer Darren Bailey. Tell us about his margin of victory here, Tina. Well, it was, as you know, yesterday I was listening to WBEZ right in the newsroom. Things were called right at 7 o'clock, and we held off a bit because we wanted to see some precincts reporting numbers. Um, and that I was, was shocked. I was like, <laughs> it's, I looked at my watch. I was like, it's 7 o'clock? How yes. did they know this already? My colleague next to me was getting alerts on his phone, and I was just panicking, like, oh, my God, <laughs> everything's over. Um, but thankfully, we waited a bit, and it they were correct, obviously. Um, there was a large margin of um Success for J.B. Pritzker, right now he's at 54.3% to Darren Bailey's 42.9%. Mm-hmm. Um, one funny thing that Dave and I both experienced yesterday is that uh, Pritzker had thought that Bailey would concede right away, and he wrote it in his remarks, or his speechwriter did, and he didn't until about an hour and a half later. Um, but it was really nice. His like rosy scenario was like, everything's wonderful, and he was gracious, and I wish him well, uh, which he did end up getting that about an hour and a half later. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a little interesting tidbit. Well, let's hear some of those moments. First, Pritzker did give a fiery speech to his supporters. We raised the minimum wage to a livable wage. We guaranteed a woman's right to choose. We balanced the budget, paid all our overdue bills, and got six credit upgrades. Facing this moment means fighting these battles together. 
Together we must be bold and we must never shy away from our big D democratic or little d democratic values. And to all of you, let me be even clearer. To anyone who thinks that they can come into this state and try to force some right-wing MAGA war on a woman's body, you will, you will never get an inch of Illinois. And since you brought it up, Tina, you know, Darren Bailey did wait until about 10 o'clock last night to address his supporters. He didn't concede exactly, but he did say that it would be a miracle if he won. Uh, I want to play a little bit of uh, his speech. He, he did manage to take the opportunity to knock Pritzker as well. From what we know, tonight didn't turn out the way we wanted. But thanks to God, we still have so many blessings. Republicans need to be the loyal opposition in Springfield. Loyal to our state, loyal to our country, loyal to our Constitution, but in opposition to the radical policies of the Democrats. Friends, we must work together to find solutions for all the people of Illinois. Illinois can be better. Illinois must be better. Our leaders <coughs> must be better. And J.B. Pritzker... You need to be better. All right. So let's talk about both of those. First of all, Pritzker's speech, Dave, what do you make of it? Well, I mean, he, you know, it was packed with emotion and and fury, I think, you know, I mean, it was just a lot was coming out there. And, you know, our clips didn't really give a flavor, I think, of, of how he was taking a lot of shots at Donald Trump. And there was there was sort of this feel almost like, you know, there had been talk of back in, in June, I think, about, you know, potential presidential aspirations of J.B. Pritzker. Right. And, he put those to rest when when Joe Biden came out and said, "Hey, I'm running," and Pritzker said, "Well, I'm not going to, you know, light that flame if mm-hmm. you're going to run." But but it sounded very much like you know he, it it had a it it sounded like it had two intended audiences one in in the state of Illinois and the base uh, uh, the Democratic base that helped elect him the independents that helped elect him mm-hmm. plus an audience outside of Illinois that maybe you know look here's a governor in a in a deep blue state who you know in what a lot of people going into it thought it was not going to be a politically fa- favorable environment for Democrats. You know, just gave a complete thrashing to Darren Bailey. Yeah. And, and it wasn't even close. Well, what do you think, Tina, was, was maybe that defining factor that led to, to Illinois voters supporting Pritzker? Uh, well, it's years of control, having a Democratic supermajority, $150 million, lots of factors. Yeah. Um, choosing a primary opponent in Darren Bailey, um, just I think Dave has written before like it was his race to lose because it, every, all the cards were in his favor. People thought maybe there would be a Republican yeah. momentum um, that we didn't see. But if you look at the map, it's very red in many counties. There are a lot of Republicans in our state. He has 1.6 million votes. So what he's talking about, Darren Bailey, yeah. is J.B. Pritzker does need to pay attention to the rest of the state. Um, he did win some uh, downstate counties four years ago, and he did not win downstate counties this year. So, you know, he, he needs to find a way to speak to those central and downstate yeah. voters. Or there's, there's all over the place. Like, like I said, look at the map. It's so red besides typically Democratic counties. Um, and so that's something different than what you saw four years ago with yeah, Pritzker. And, and I mean, Pritzker did have this record on COVID, right? He had, he had a pretty good record on COVID, the economy as well, that strong stance he's taken on, on abortion. So I think it's sort of a multitude of things. Right. So, well, But the social issues are what caused that split that we're seeing on the map because central and downstate Illinois yeah. 
they were not happy with those mandates. Um, that's that's what sparked Bailey's campaign. So what do you think, Dave, is, is running through the mind of Republican Party leaders and, and Republican strategists in Illinois this morning on the heels of, of Bailey's loss? You know, I think that there are members of the Republican Party who are engaging in a lot of I told you so this morning. I mean, the people who had backed Richard Irvin, the Aurora mayor in the primary against Darren Bailey are, are looking at last night's results and saying, you know, this this is exactly how we predicted. An underfunded candidate, too far to the right, a guy who uh, was out of step with Illinoisans on abortion and a lot of other social issues, couldn't attract uh, a backing in the collar counties. Uh, you know, it just it just all came together is the way many of them had predicted. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I, I think you have to, if you're, if you're a Republican in Illinois today, you, you know, you have to start this period of time where you do some serious soul searching. What exactly is your identity? Because the party, you know, it, it, it's almost like a sugar high that this party has had where, you know, they feel like they're on top of the world when they win primaries. But that's not what this is about. Yeah. They have to win general elections. And they don't have, they don't have the bench right now established to be able, you know, of candidates that, that would appeal. Uh, I mean, the history in our state, Sasha, is that, you know, for 26 straight years, Republicans were, you know, controlling the governor's mansion. And they did it with a succession of people from Jim Thompson to George or to Jim Edgar to George Ryan, yeah. people who were social moderates and fiscal conservatives, you know, and this culture war stuff that Republicans, you know, who embrace and drape themselves in Donald Trump, they are insistent on doing. It just is not something that Illinois voters by and large are interested in. Downstate mm-hmm. they are, but elections are not one only downstate. They take the collar counties and the city of Chicago and those two came together and gave Pritzker a very convincing win. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're breaking down the results from the 2022 midterm elections. Right now, it's not yet clear which party will control Congress. But here in Illinois, it's a different story. Democrats winning across the board. Uh, J.B. Pritzker gets another four years as governor. Tammy Duckworth, another six years in the Senate. Alexi Janulius replaces Jesse White as secretary of state. And two members of the House, Sean Kasten and Lauren Underwood, held on to their seats in suburban districts that Republicans saw as vulnerable. We're here with WBEZ's Dave McKinney and Tina Svondelis of the Sun-Times, analyzing what the results mean and how they could shape politics in Illinois in, beyond, in the years to come. Uh, so let's um, get to more statewide races in a little bit. I, I want to talk about Congress first. Two big wins for Democrats in the suburbs a uh, Democratic win downstate near Springfield, and a Democrat is ahead in the 17th district in the northwest part of the state. So it looks like Illinois' Republican power in the House is shrinking. What do you think of that, Dave? Yeah, I mean, when Democrats redrew congressional boundaries last year, I think they did so with the the mindset that, that the split would maybe be 14 to 3 Democrats over Republicans. You know, they might actually do better than, than that, or, or that certainly they'll meet that expectation. I, I think that that race you mentioned in, in far northwestern Illinois was, yeah. was a total toss-up because it's a it's a, a purple district by nature. Sherry Bustos uh, was a, a longtime popular Democratic incumbent there, but that district over over time has gone back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. And then uh, they picked up a, a seat downstate, a newly created seat along uh, really kind of the, the Interstate 55 and Interstate 72 corridors between Decatur, Springfield, and, and uh, uh, East St. Louis. Uh, that is is going to be a Democratic seat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, I mean, the, the Democrats, 
the Democrats have to feel statewide that the congressional delegation that, that got elected, uh, you know, they got to feel good about that. And um, I think particularly in the collar counties, too, when you had uh, for, for a big chunk of last night, Sean Caston uh, looking like he was in a very tight race with the Orland Park mayor, mayor Keith mm-hmm. Bacow, uh And, and uh, you know, and it, it just the, the, the statement that Pacal put out afterwards uh, really kind of dripped with sour grapes, I think. You know, he, he, he didn't really accept defeat in any way. And, and the way it was structured, it, 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 you know, he didn't really pay uh, much respect, I don't think, to the voters who elected Caston. I mean, he said that yeah. the voters were duped by lies. And, uh, you know, I, I, the, the way I grew up understanding politics and government is you respect elections. You, you respect the outcome of them. Right. And, and language like that. My way of thinking doesn't do that. Well, here's a little bit of what Kasten said to his supporters last night. This has also been a hard, a hard cycle for political reasons. Jim Clyburn has this theory that when parties lose their base, they pivot back in the next, they lose an election, they come back and they win their base, and you go from there. But when parties lose the middle, the other party takes the middle. And what remains of that party that has lost the middle can only survive if it continues to double down on its base and become ever more radicalized. Tina, does uh, Kasten's win by about eight percentage points suggest that the political winds are shifting in the suburbs? I think so. And also, I'd say that was my favorite speech last night. It sounded the most genuine. Everyone in the newsroom kind of huddled to watch it. Um, He was in like kind of a crappy office. It wasn't like it wasn't like a beautiful hotel room with champagne. Yeah. Um, He spoke about his daughter who died next to his surviving daughter who was tearing up. Um, And it was very genuine. And Mm -hmm. it it was that whole discussion about democracy um, and the fight for democracy. He talked about covid deaths. Nobody talked about covid deaths. It's like the pandemic didn't happen. Um, And so. I thought his speech kind of hit these really realistic um, elements that I had not heard in these super fiery political speeches. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think people thought that race would be a lot closer um, from, from everyone I've spoke to in the days ahead. Um, but it could have been part of that Republican narrative where they said things were going to be better than they were. Yeah. Well, uh, Lauren Underwood, as I mentioned, she held on to her seat in the 14th district north and west of the city. Let's hear from her. Together, we must rise to the challenges of protecting our values and defending our democracy. Republicans, they've been open about their plans. We know what's coming. But if there's one thing I know about all of you here with me, it's this. We are not surrendering our country to these people. The results of this election are victory for our community. But our work, our work is far from over. Everything. Everything that we value about our country is at risk. With our continued commitment, our nation will become the more perfect union that we know that we can be. I know that. Tina, remind us who she is, and and I'm curious what you made of her win last night. Uh, Lauren Underwood, she, um, Biden, has campaigned for her several times. Um, It it was a district that they were concerned about because she has won by small margins. He kept on coming back. We thought it was kind of funny because— Biden, um, you know, has unpopular approval ratings, and he kept on trying to help her. We weren't sure if it was going to help her or not, and yeah. it did. Um, she is a former nurse, I believe. And Dave, what are her other backgrounds? I forget. I just remember the nurse part. Yeah, she's prior to her yeah healthcare party. worker turned yes. congresswoman. She's thirty six. Um, flipped her district from red to blue back in twenty eighteen. Um, 
yeah, I mean, those are pretty much the highlights with her. This is the third term that she's just won. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like the other day that she had defeated Randy Hultgren, who was uh, the, the the longtime Republican congressman in that area. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the when Democrats restructured the congressional boundaries, they, they did they did her some favors by by giving her a little more friendly turf, you know, little pieces of, of Lake County that that has gone heavily Democratic, a little bit of Kane County, some some cook. And so it it really kind of made her task a little easier. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's now suddenly developing a little bit of seniority uh, and, and footing out there that, you know, it's it's uh, that's that's when uh, political figures start getting momentum when they've been, and you know, when she, they get that tenure. And once you flip a seat, they want it that color forever. So yeah. that's what they were worried about. She flipped it and they wanted to make sure that it continues. Well, sticking with with Congress, I know Democrat Delia Ramirez became the first Guatemalan member of Congress. She won her seat in the third district. And Democrat Jonathan Jackson is going to fill the shoes of the retiring Bobby Rush in in that first district. What do you make of those wins, Dave? Well, I mean, Delia Ramirez, a former state lawmaker from Springfield, uh, this was a a district that, that Democrats carved out. Uh, in hopes, uh, with the aim of creating a second Latino majority uh, district. And, and they did so kind of gambling because uh, to create that district, it stretches from, you know, Logan Square all the way out to West Chicago and DuPage County and, and through O'Hare and, and what have you. But but they, they, they gambled because they took away uh, friendly turf from Sean Caston. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they took, took turf away uh, uh, elsewhere. And so it's, it, beca- it became... Uh, Bill Foster was another one who kind of felt that a little bit. Um, so it paid off. You know, it paid off. They didn't they didn't wind up losing anything as a result of that. And they get a, a, a situation where they can now point to, you know, the Democratic Party. We 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 value Latino votes. We value the Latino constituency. And and there have been these uh, there's been this reporting, you know, nationally about how Democrats have have kind of had Latino support slipping away from them mm-hmm. and, and Latinos have been sort of drifting either out of politics or toward Republicans in, in some parts of the country. So so this is an effort by the state Democratic Party to make sure that doesn't happen here. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are spending this hour and some of the next hour breaking down what happened in key local races in yesterday's midterm election. You got governor, you got U.S. Senate, you got the statewide offices, and now the Illinois Supreme Court and the majority Democrats. It's a big night for them in Illinois. Well, they, they talk about a red wave nationally. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but certainly in Illinois it's going to be, it is a blue wave. Listen, I was surprised. Uh, the Democrats came out the vote, and based on exit polls, number one was abortion, right. and number two was democracy. Throughout the show, we're hearing from some winners analyzing the results, and we're talking politics with WBEZ's Dave McKinney and Tina Svondelis with the Chicago Sun-Times. So, Dave, in some of the states across the country, voters did weigh in on ballot initiatives that were related to abortion. What we saw from the results suggested that abortion rights was really an issue that brought out voters. Do we have any indication that that was also the case here in our state? Well, we do. I mean, uh in early October, the Sun-Times and WBEZ uh, polled Illinois registered voters and found that 52 percent of them wanted Roe v. Wade to stay legal. So the majority of, of Illinoisans were, were in favor of abortion rights. Uh, only 36 percent said it should be illegal. So you have an idea there of, of, the, of the way the state's leaning. Um, you know, I think, uh, you, you know, it's an issue that, that, that Governor Pritzker and Democrats up and down the ticket tailored their campaign ads around. I mean, they, you know, almost everything that popped up on the on your television set in between 
the newscasts, oh my goodness, football games Those and everything ads. else. They were all they, they all had a mention of abortion rights in them. They're so done. Hallelujah. It was all I think a bid to try to really play hard to uh, you know suburban Democrats and get them out to the polls, and and they did. It worked. Yeah. Well, in many national polls and in exit polls yesterday, inflation and the economy, those were top issues for voters. Typically, voters will trend toward Republicans when that's the case. But with what we are seeing, can we say that voters' views on abortion rights really are just counteracting that trend? Well, I think I think there's that. And uh, in the, the montage we played there, uh, our, our friend Tom Serafin, you know, talked about democracy uh, on the ballot as well. I mean, you know, I think that a lot of people are just sort of they're they're tense about the situation in our country, yeah. and and you know we don't like none of us like paying more at the stores and 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 paying more for rent and our mortgages, but but at the same time we want stability, and and I think that's kind of what you know when when you have a, a longstanding right that people had in in abortion rights, fifty years taken away, that that's a very disruptive thing to happen to people. Oh yeah, and 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 the same way with uh, the the fact that you have. Uh, the, the you know the we've been watching the the January sixth committee and 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 the dissection of what happened uh, during the insurrection and and Trump's role in ginning that up uh, th- that's very unsettling to people and mm. and then you see these folks around the country who are election deniers on the ballot and and uh, you know I think that that what we saw yesterday you know besides abortion rights it was also a, uh, a statement here in Illinois and elsewhere that. You know, we're a democracy and we're not for being authoritarian, you know, governed by an authoritarianism. Yeah. That's that's really what I think we saw. Thoughts, Tina? Um, I do think that many people have private opinions about abortion and abortion rights. And just in discussions I've had with women in politics, they didn't they weren't seeing that reflected in these national polls, not saying these national polls were wrong, but they did expect something like this to happen, that there would be this influx of support for abortion rights that we would see on actual election day. And that's kind of what I've seen. I have a group text with some women in politics, and mm-hmm. they, that's what we predicted, and that's what happened. The group chats were lit last yes, night. Yes, they were. For sure. Um, sticking with abortion rights, Democrats held on to the state Supreme Court. If they hadn't, we might have been in a situation with a Democratic governor, uh, a Democratic supermajority in Springfield, but a judiciary that was leaning to the right. That didn't happen, though. Fill us in, Dave. Yeah, I mean that that was just sort of emblematic of the of the night that that Republicans had and Democrats had. Uh, you know, Republicans really had a golden opportunity here. It's so rare for for two state Supreme Court seats to open up at the same time. I mean, I think the last time it happened was twenty years ago. Jeez. So so you get an idea there that the, the the there was a lot at stake here, and Republicans were banking on the idea that if there was some sort of you know national Republican wave, that maybe that would would play into the politics here, this, the, you know, most people had no idea who these folks were that were on the ballot. And, and our, you know, our listeners in Chicago weren't even involved in these two state Supreme Court races. These were right. all, these were both out in the Collar counties. So all the Collar counties were involved and, and they were at the very end of, of, your, of the ballot. And, you know, so there was just a, you know, a lot of uncertainty. So the Democrats and, and abortion rights uh, advocates in particular mounted a very aggressive uh, push to make sure people voted in those races. And so what it wound up doing, uh, Elizabeth Rochford uh, in Lake County defeated uh, the, the former Lake County Sheriff uh, and Republican Mark Curran uh, and, and won that district. Uh, that includes Kane, Lake McHenry, mm-hmm. DeKalb, and Kendall counties. And then uh, in the other open seat, the third district, uh, uh, Democratic Appellate Justice Mary Kay O'Brien 
defeated incumbent state Supreme Court Justice Michael Burke from DuPage County. And that that was a district that includes uh, a, a bunch of counties to the southwest of Chicago, but also, you know, DuPage and Will County. So oh, that, win, that win's been called? That win has been called. Mm. Uh, uh, Burke conceded the race uh, uh, late last night. So, gotcha. so those things really uh, sealed the deal for, for uh, Democrats. And you think about the importance of all that, uh, you, you know, as the question alluded to, it would have created a complete nightmare yeah. for, for J.B. Pritzker in a second term, not to mention all the stuff they did in the first term that could be eventually winding its way into the court. Uh, you know, for example, the 2019 law that that codified Roe v. Wade in Illinois, that could have been undone by a Republican-led court. So mm-hmm. Pritzker and Democrats don't have that to worry about now. And before we rifle through some other statewide races in Illinois, I got to touch on this. Is Republicans around much of the country, really, they, they believe that playing up problems with crime was really going to resonate with voters, right? We talked about this yesterday on, on Reset as well. Uh, at least locally, it, it's not looking like that was a winning strategy. No, it wasn't. I mean, I think, you know, they, they intended the, the, the Republicans who pushed crime uh, focused in on the, the passage of the, the Safety Act, which changed the way that, that, that uh, bail is created. I mean, it, it doesn't allow cash bail to be set anymore. But, you know, the, in, in making the pitch against that law and, and highlighting crime, uh, some Republicans here, I think, kind of turn ghoulish on this issue. And, and by that, I mean uh, the, the, the pack, the, play by, the people who play by the rules pack that, that was funded by GOP mega donor Dick Uline and led by consultant Dan Proft. You know, they aired an ad. Uh, that involved a, a woman in Chicago being attacked, and it was doorbell footage, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was called the scream. And you you heard her scream, and and it was uh, I, I mean I anybody who saw that ad before it was taken down because Pritzker objected, um, it was a jolting thing to look at. But then you know as you peel back the onion and learn more about it, it was it was it involved a victim who hadn't been even consulted by these people about her likeness being put out in front of the entire electorate. And, and from that standpoint, I, I just, I have, I have zero respect for that. Mm. It's, it's like, you know, you're, you're traumatizing a person a second time. And so you, you have an example there of where Republicans overplayed their hand significantly and it blew up. I don't think that's over too. Sasha, you talked about the end of ads. I'm so sorry. It's going to happen very soon oh, for the mayoral yeah. and the people who play the rules pack still has a lot of money. And they did How attack. How could I forget about the mayor's race? I'm sorry. It's <laughs> happening starting today. But so those ads, I'm sure, are I passed a Willie Wilson ad, uh, you know, ad on my way to work. Yes. Yeah. And so crime will be a huge thing as well. Um, I wanted to mention that in New York, this was also an issue. They also had a cash bail situation um, that harmed Kathy Hochul's campaign for mm-hmm. governor. Um, and she was kind of hit hard towards the end. And it got it got pretty close. J.B. Pritzker was able to kind of bypass that. Yeah. But she was she was in serious danger of losing based on those attacks on crime. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're here with our colleagues Dave McKinney of WBEZ and Tina Spondelis of the Chicago Sun-Times discussing the results of the midterm elections and what they mean for you. Let's quickly tick through some other statewide races in Illinois. I just called my opponent, Alexi Junilius, and congratulated my opponent. And I wish him and his family best wishes and success. That is why my focus has always been and will be on restoring public trust. Politics isn't my thing as I'm a first time candidate, but I I had to take this journey to get to this place. 
so that we can continue to advance the work of the courts. All right. So those are some of the voices that we're about to discuss. Tina, Attorney General, what happened there? Attorney General um, Kwame, Kwame Raul beat uh, the Republican candidate Tom DeVore. He was very controversial. He filed lots of lawsuits during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was using the a bully pulpit all the time. He was making people mad, <laughs> et cetera. Uh, he was in Chicago a lot towards the end. Um, a lot of ties to Bailey. They would appear together sharing staffers at the end, apparently. What, what are the tattoos on his arm? Freedom I, and, and uh, something else. Liberty, Free, potenti- yeah, right. potentially. Justice for all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, there were about 40 some percent of people voted for him, which just shows that people were following the Republican ticket. Yeah. Um, and he... He was very optim. He was optimistic. He thought he had a chance, but he did not have a chance. Secretary of State Dave. Well, uh, Janulius, we know uh, because he was a former state treasurer here. He also ran unsuccessfully for U.S. Senate, mm-hmm. um, and and so for him, this is a this is a big step up and a kind of a revival of his political career. Um, this the Secretary of State office has been in. Jesse White's hands for, you yeah. know, since some people have been alive. So know? anything Janulius might do differently, you think? Well, I mean, you know, the main thing about that office is that, it, you know, it, it, it's where we go to get our driver's licenses. And so, right. you know, that is the bread and butter of that place. People don't like standing in lines. And, and so long as he, you know, keeps that process going and, and you know, he'll, he should not have trouble there. It's an office that's a stepping stone. It can be for higher political office. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Edgar, before he became governor in the 1990s, he was a secretary of state. Before Edgar, uh, Alan Dixon, a Democrat from Belleville, he went on to become U.S. senator uh, after being secretary of state. So, you know, you look at Janulius, this might be a, a platform to something bigger and yeah. better beyond that. You know, we played in the in the clips there, his opponent, Dan Brady, uh, a Republican from uh, 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 Bloomington, I believe. And, you know, he was a member of House Republican leadership, a moderate Republican. Uh, and I just, you know, it just sort of st- strikes me, you know, we're in this age of where, you know, losing candidates are not, you know, showing any grace. They're not conceding elections, yeah. not conceding losses. And and you just listen to his words and it, it showed class. You know, that's the way a losing candidate, a Republican or a Democrat should behave, mm-hmm. respect the will of the voters, show class. And that's what Brady did. Talk about uh, treasurer and comptroller. Well, the uh, the, the treasurer uh, in both cases went to the Democratic incumbents. Uh, uh, Susana Mendoza wins another term as state comptroller. Michael Frerichs wins another term as state treasurer. Those are are uh, kind of the, the lower tier statewide offices. Uh, they they they. Uh, yeah, speaking of that, what do they do, Tina? Uh, I researched this because I wanted to make sure I got it right. Okay. So the treasurer, uh, he invests <laughs> our money to make it into more money. Okay. Uh, that's the basic function of the treasurer. Like, it's not a super sexy job. It's just not. Okay. But it's an important job. Um, and also, that's Mike Frerichs, those emails that you get about, hey, you got $7 from 10 years ago that <laughs> for a refund. It's that guy? That's that. That's the guy. Okay. Although um, I, I, I put in for that, uh, I don't know. Not too long ago. And then I learned that I had an unpaid parking ticket in Uh-oh. the city of Springfield. So did they deduct it? They took it away. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> oh, get no. my money in the That's mail. That's awesome. That's terrible. <laughs> um, and so, and then the comptroller um, pays our bills. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge function during the budget impasse when they were, she was unable to pay the bills. And so she's, she's basically been showing how quickly the state has been able to pay their bills when there is a budget. Yeah. Um, and their GOP competitors 
were actually part of the Griffin slate, I believe, or they were hoping to get some funding uh, after the primary if Richard Irvin had won. Um, and I believe Tom Demmer is he he's no longer in the Illinois House. Or yeah, he'll he'll be he'll be out as of January. So he was seen as they've lost some of the rising stars because yeah. Avery Bourne ran with Richard Irvin as his running mate. She's a young rising Republican star, and so yeah. is Tom Demmer. So these people took chances in running. Well, when it comes to Cook County races, let me give us some key results here. Democrat Tony Preckwinkle won re-election as president of the county board, beating lawyer Bob Fioretti. Democrat Fritz Kage won his second term as county assessor. Democrat Karen Yarbrough won another term as county clerk. Democrat Maria Pappas will again be county treasurer. And Democrat Tom Dart won another term as Cook County sheriff. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Well, as you've been hearing on Reset, Democrats won big in Illinois. Governor Pritzker handily beat Republican challenger Darren Bailey and Senator Tammy Duckworth sailed to victory. Meanwhile, two congressional seats that could have flipped Republican have stayed in Democrats' hands. But what about the first question that you saw on your ballot? The amendment to the state constitution would enshrine the right to unionizing and collective bargaining. It hasn't officially passed yet. It needs 60 percent of the vote, but it's close. Here to discuss is Anders Lindahl, spokesman for the American Federation of State, County and Municipal Employees. AFSCME, Council 31. Welcome, Anders. Thank you. The Vote Yes for Workers' Rights campaign has declared victory, even though it hasn't been officially declared. What's your take on that? Uh, That's absolutely right. So there's two ways for a constitutional amendment to pass. You made a mention of one. Uh, If there's 60 percent of those voting on the question, um, but there's another way to pass, and uh, that is if there's 50 percent plus one vote of all those voting in the election. And uh, right now we're at almost 59 percent on the question and a very strong majority of those voting in the election. Uh, We firmly believe that when every ballot is cast, this will be uh, a very, very strong win for workers' rights. So so tell us more about what this means. What what would the amendment look like in practice? So, you know, we often say uh, Chicago is a union town. You know, I think we need to amend that. Illinois is a union state. It's a workers' rights state. Uh, The vote yesterday is a rejection of the race to the bottom of lower wages, of fewer rights, of no voice on the job for working people. Other states may have taken that low road, but we know the race to the bottom only leads one way, and that's down. Uh, Just like they did four years ago when Bruce Rauner was trounced all the way to Florida in his anti-worker agenda rejected by the voters, Illinois voters embraced the notion that we all do better when we all do better, Uh, that everybody who works for a living has a right to come together with their coworkers, to have a voice on the job, to advocate for better wages and safer workplace and more. What about the people now protected who hadn't been before? So um, I'm thinking about agricultural workers or independent contractors. Do you think that this is going to make their unionizing efforts easier? Well, so uh, the the law uh, provides for uh, organizing rights under under state statute in the public sector uh, provides for organizing rights under federal statute in the private sector, but there are also a number of you know gig workers and uh, those where uh, the employer and their status is not as clear 
where this is going to not only uh, provide but codify those rights for all working people in the Illinois Constitution. And what is so important is that it puts the right to organize, uh, to speak out for a better life for yourself and your coworkers, puts it beyond the reach of politics. Mm-hmm. We know there are so many anti-worker forces out there, the corporate CEOs that fund these dark money front groups like the Illinois Policy Institute, the anti-worker politicians like Rauner and those we've seen in other states, the Scott Walkers and others, who their mission is to strip rights away. And this is saying that now and in the future, no politician of whatever party, whatever political persuasion, could pass a law stripping back those rights. Yeah. Well, you know, as you've indicated, Anders, we have really seen record unionizing efforts across the state and across the country and and also in all kinds of jobs. Right. So from the traditionally blue collar to white collar workers, we also saw museum workers. We saw baristas. Do you think that these efforts are what led to the popularity of this amendment? I don't think that it is a cause and effect, but I think it is evidence of the same rising wave of uh, working folks, whether you're in a union or, as we like to say, you're just not organized yet, uh, realizing that when you come together and you claim your right uh, to have a voice at work, to sit down across the table from management as equals and have a seat at the table when the decisions are made that affect your working life, Mm that you can bargain for wages that sustain a family, that you can ensure that you have health care you can afford if you or your kid gets sick, that you can have some dignity in retirement, you can speak out for safety on the job, you can uh, ensure pay equity uh, when you have more transparency and accountability for what you and your coworkers are paid. These are values that most people share and you know, let me just point out, it's not partisan and never was. Mm-hmm. You know, working people aren't just Republicans or Democrats. The Workers' Rights Amendment, when you look at these results, ran ahead of every politician statewide. That tells you that people of all political persuasions voted yes yesterday. Yeah. And that's how you pass a constitutional amendment. So if this does officially pass, Anders, when will it go into effect? So it becomes a part of the Constitution. Um, That happens uh, immediately. It is is an amendment to the Illinois Constitution, and it would mean that uh, no state statute could strip away those rights from workers now or for generations to come. That was Anders Lindahl, spokesman for the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, Council 31. Thank you, Anders. Thank you again. Now, we also saw a long list of judge retention races on our ballots. Here to discuss those results is Jonah Newman, editor at Injustice Watch. Hey, Jonah. Hi, thanks for having me. Did Democratic judges fare as well as other Democratic candidates in Illinois? So, um, you know, the judges running for retention uh, run in you know, nonpartisan races. Um, those judges uh, all do appear to have, uh, you know, beheaded to retention. Um, you know, the, the most closely watched partisan races were the two uh, open Illinois Supreme Court seats in the Collar counties in mm-hmm. the second and third district. Um, in the second dis- district, uh, Lake County 
uh, Judge Elizabeth Rochford, the Democrat, uh, handily beat Republican Mark Curran um, and declared victory last night. Um, the other race uh, is still, I think, too close to call. It looks like um, Mary Kay O'Brien uh, is uh, slightly ahead in the in the third district over uh, current Supreme Court Justice Michael Burke, the Republican. Um, but so either way, Democrats are going to maintain their uh, their four three uh, at least majority on the Illinois Supreme Court. And uh, if Mary Kay O'Brien holds on to to her win there. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have a 5-2 majority. So uh, certainly the, the Democrat, uh, Democratic candidates on the Supreme Court uh, did uh, do, you know, perform pretty well last yeah. night. Yeah. Well, remind us why voters should pay attention to these results, Jonah. Yeah, the Supreme Court, you know, like a lot of races across the country, really, um, you know, had abortion at its center uh, this year. Um, the Democratic candidates in particular were, you know, uh, as you probably saw in uh, ads on TV, um, were really focused on, you know, their commitment to protect um, abortion access in Illinois um, and, you know, kind of playing on um, on concerns that if the Supreme Court did um, turn Republican uh, for the first time in more than 50 years, that uh, that those uh, rights and, and abortion access could be at risk. Um, again, obviously, that seems to um, to not be the case, as, as Democrats will uh, will maintain their majority on the Supreme Court uh, in Illinois. Do we have any sense of how many people actually voted for these judges? So, in the retention races uh, here in Cook County, um, it looks like about eighty or so percent. Um, obviously, we're still waiting on mail-in ballots and, and some of the final precincts to report. Um, but about eighty percent of people who cast ballots in the governor's race uh, also cast ballots in um, in one or more uh, judicial races uh, down ballot. So um, that's actually pretty high voter turnout. Um, I think you know it's been creeping up over the years mm-hmm. as, as people pay closer attention to these races. Um, but, you know, I think uh, obviously still still significant drop off from the top of the ticket. Um, yeah. You know. and, and give us a, a quick sense of the kinds of cases that these different judges that were retained cover. Yeah. So the, the majority of the judges on the ballot were circuit court judges, um, and they are really, you know, the front lines of the court system. They hear, um, you know, everything from tra- traffic tickets to divorce cases to, you know, um, lawsuits over big, you know, personal injury cases or monetary damages um, to obviously criminal court cases. So, um, you know, most of those uh, judges, again, um, uh, all of those judges, I should say, appear headed to uh, to keep their seats. Um, and then, you know, there were also um, uh, appellate court judges um, on the ballot, as well as one um, Illinois Supreme Court justice um uh, Mary Jane Tice, who uh, is actually now the um, the chief justice of the Supreme Court after mm-hmm. uh, Ann Burke retired uh, or announced that she'll be retiring later this year. Um, and she also won retention. So, um, again, up and down the, the court system, uh, yeah. the judges appear to have uh, have held on to their seats. Well, tell us, where can folks find these results? Yeah, so uh, Injustice Watch uh, is working on a, on a result story now. We'll, um, we'll have those results up shortly. Um, you know, obviously, you can check the Cook County and Chicago Board of Election websites as well. That was Jonah Newman, editor at Injustice Watch. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.